One summer day in 1996, an off-duty policeman named Frank strolled along Bold Street in Liverpool, England. He passed bustling cafes and chatting pedestrians as he headed to a local bookstore to meet his wife. But Frank felt uneasy as he walked down the road. Something was off. Everything was quiet. Frank went to cross the street when suddenly a van swerved past him. He leapt back, and as the van drove off, he saw it was an old model, like from the 50s. He shook his head and continued toward Dylan's bookshop. But as he approached the building, he saw a different name above the entrance, Crips. The display windows were full of dresses and shoes, no book in sight. It made no sense. Had he walked into the wrong store? Frank turned around to orient himself and gasped. Bold Street had completely transformed. Women walked past him wearing full skirts and gloves. The men sported caps and loafers. Post-war era cars were parked along the road. Frank's jaw dropped. Where was he? He hurried into the shop, hoping for some clarity. But when he stepped inside, everything had changed. Again, he was back in the bookstore. Later on, Frank learned Dylan's bookshop had once been a ladies' boutique called Crips in the late 1950s. Somehow, he'd ended up on Bold Street, 40 years in the past. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on time travel. The famous trope has been used in sci-fi movies and books, but some researchers believe it could be possible in real life. And anecdotes suggest some people may have already leapt to other times. Today, we'll meet the people who were transported to the past or visited the future. We'll discuss the paranormal explanations behind their wild experiences and see what science has to say about these logic-defying journeys. Next time, we'll follow some of the world's greatest physicists as they try to unlock the key to authentic time travel. Plus, we'll take an in-depth look at their concepts for actual time machines. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. 
The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. There's something about time travel. It's alluring and terrifying and mystifying all at once. Maybe it stems from our desire to turn back the clock, or our curiosity about an unknown future. Whatever it is, we've been obsessed with it for centuries. One of the earliest references to time travel comes from 400 BCE, in an ancient Indian epic called the Mahabharata. The tale follows King Kakudmi and his daughter Revati as they travel to the heavens seeking advice from the creator god Brahma. While there, they make a shocking realization. During their short visit, over 100 million years had gone by. Apparently, time moved much more slowly on the celestial plane than on Earth, meaning Kakudmi and Revati had unknowingly traveled eons into the future. Ancient India isn't the only culture that wrote about time travel. The concept also appears in Buddhist texts, the Quran, and Japanese legend. In these tales, people are transported by visiting otherworldly places, like in the Mahabharata, or via magic. Or by sleeping. After dozing off, characters wake up to find themselves propelled years into the future, or sometimes the past. Talk about a good nap. According to Lisa Yazik, Georgia Tech's professor of science fiction studies, these so-called sleep stories were still popular as late as the 17 and 1800s. Think Rip Van Winkle or A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge visits the past, present, and future over the course of one time-warped night. All these stories, whether they're from 400 BCE or 1843, have something in common. The characters jump through time accidentally. This is called a time slip, a phenomenon in which a person is briefly transported through temporal space. The internet is full of time slip anecdotes, but many of these stories can't be verified. Still, the few that can be are enough to make us rethink everything we know about time and space. We've heard one already the 1996 time slip on Liverpool's Bold Street when a policeman found himself transported to the 1950s. But the most famous case, and perhaps most credible, is the moberly Jourdain incident. In 1901, Charlotte Ann Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain were respected academics. 
Charlotte was the principal of an esteemed women's college in Oxford, and Eleanor was her soon-to-be vice principal. To get to know each other before the school year, the women met for a holiday in France. On August 10th, they visited Versailles. After they toured the palace, the pair strolled through the gardens, hoping to see the Petit Trianon, a small chateau Marie Antoinette used to escape from court. Petit Trianon is located on the palace grounds, but this is Versailles. The park sprawls across nearly 2,000 magnificent acres of winding footpaths, forests, and fields. It even has its own lake. After taking one wrong turn, Eleanor and Charlotte were hopelessly lost. They found themselves on an unmarked road, far from anything they recognized. Suddenly, the air took on a strange, heavy feeling, like the stillness before a storm. Neither woman said anything, though they both felt it. Something was off. Eventually, they passed a frazzled-looking man dressed in period-style clothing. In a strange accent, he told them they were going the wrong way, then hurried off. Assuming he was a tour guide, the women followed. Meanwhile, that heavy feeling grew stronger. Eleanor compared it to sleepwalking. Everything felt dreamlike and oppressive as they wandered around the gardens, feeling uneasy. Eventually, their path led to a small, rustic bridge over a stream. The women followed the Travers and soon found themselves in front of a little chateau. They'd finally made it to the Petit Trianon, but they almost wished they hadn't. Charlotte wrote that the moment felt flat and lifeless. There was no breeze, no shadows. It was as if they'd stepped into a painting. While circling the structure, Charlotte saw a fair-haired woman perched on a stool on the terrace, drawing. She wore a wide-brimmed hat and a summer dress. Charlotte decided she must be a tourist sketching the historic gardens. But before she could point her out to Eleanor, a tour guide appeared out of nowhere. The guide led them into the building to join another group. Once the pair were safe in the company of other visitors, the strange experience came to an end. According to Stanford University professor Terry Castle, the women returned to England and kept quiet about what they saw that day. Until a week later, when Charlotte finally brought it up. To her relief, Eleanor agreed. Whatever happened at Versailles was not normal. Then, a little later, while prepping for a lesson on the French Revolution, Eleanor stumbled upon an odd, even chilling fact. On the night of August 10th, 1792, the French royals were taken prisoner by revolutionaries. August 10th, the day Eleanor and Charlotte visited Versailles, was the 109th anniversary of the monarchy's downfall. Eleanor told Charlotte, who began flipping through history books. When she came across a portrait of Marie Antoinette, her heart nearly stopped. The queen looked exactly like the woman on the terrace. Charlotte and Eleanor were rattled, but as academics, they were determined to find an explanation. So they got to researching. 
they discovered the journal of the queen's dressmaker. Inside the notebook was a sketch of the dress the woman on the terrace had been wearing. They also uncovered a 1783 map of Versailles, which included all the structures from their walk. But later, when they returned to France to retrace their steps, it had all changed. The path, the bridge to Petit Trianon, they couldn't find any of it. That's when they began to consider the impossible. Somehow, some way, they'd walked more than a century into the past and witnessed Marie Antoinette's last moments before the revolution. In 1911, 10 years after their initial trip to Versailles, Charlotte and Eleanor released a book about their experience titled An Adventure. It became incredibly popular and controversial. Some skeptics claimed the women hadn't slipped in time. They'd experienced a haunting in which the ghosts of Versailles reenacted their final days. Others chalked the incident up to a mere folie adieu or a shared delusion. Perhaps the most interesting explanation was that the women stumbled upon a costume party. Apparently, the eccentric poet Robert de Montesquieu frequently hosted elaborate soirees on the palace grounds, period outfits required. And then, of course, there were those who argued the incident never happened at all. They suggested Charlotte and Eleanor made the whole thing up. This might have made sense, except the two women were terrified of tarnishing their reputations. Remember, they were the principal and vice-principal of a respected college. The last thing they wanted was a scandal. They even published their book under pseudonyms. No one knew the author's real identities until they died, and both women stood by their stories till the end. Today, their original papers are held at Oxford University, their claims never completely discredited. We may never know what took place that day in 1901. When it comes down to it, the credibility of the moberly Jourdain incident depends on your belief in the paranormal. Time slips, like the one Eleanor and Charlotte experienced, fall under a category of rare phenomena called retrocognition. According to the Parapsychological Association, retrocognition is a kind of extrasensory perception, where the past is perceived as the present. There are only a few recorded cases throughout history. The moberly Jourdain incident is considered a paragon example. But there's a catch. As we said, retrocognition is all about perception. So while Charlotte and Eleanor may have experienced the past, they didn't physically travel there. It's closer to a hallucination or a dream. That is, if you can hallucinate historical events. So we're still left wondering whether physical time travel is possible, or if one day it could be. As Stephen Hawking pointed out, assuming we do master time travel in the future, he asks, why hasn't someone come back to tell us how? Unless they already have. Coming up, we go back to the past to meet a man from the future. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. 
Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. It's the year 2000, and you're logging on to the World Wide Web. You wait forever for your dial-up to connect. When it finally does, you peruse your usuals. You head to AOL and check your email. You've got mail. Send a few instant messages on AIM. Then you navigate to a new site you just discovered called the Time Travel Institute. It's an obscure little forum full of conspiracy theories on outlandish topics like ghosts and UFO sightings. But every once in a while, you like to hop on and see what everyone's talking about. You scan the homepage until you find the most recent thread. A discussion board on, what else? Time travel. And this one looks especially popular. After scrolling through an endless string of comments, you find the original post. It's from a user you've never seen before. Someone named Time Traveler Zero. Their words stop you dead in your tracks. They say, Greetings. I am a time traveler from the year 2036. The author is a man named John Teeter. For a period of four months, beginning on November 2nd, 2000, he left casual posts on the forum, claiming to be from the future. In them, he explains he made a pit stop in the year 2000 to collect some family photos and visit relatives on the East Coast. However, his real mission will take him to 1975. Teeter is in the military, part of something he calls the 177th Temporal Recon Unit. For this particular operation, the government sent him back to Rochester, Minnesota to recover a specific kind of computer, an IBM 5100. The account was just boring enough to be real. But then Teeter upped the stakes. He claimed he needed the computer to save the world. Apparently, the IBM 5100 would help the people of 2036 avoid a catastrophic issue. They called it the 2038 problem. This was essentially like the Y2K scare, when countries feared a programming bug would cause the world's computers to go haywire on January 1st, 2000. Luckily, it never happened. But according to Titor, it still could in 2038. He said as soon as the year switched over, an insidious glitch would take down the entire digital infrastructure. Luckily, though, he'd found the IBM 5100, so they would avoid the whole crisis. When pressed on what was so special about that particular computer, Teeter answered, a very simple and unique feature that IBM removed from any future desktop computers. Anyone who is familiar with this feature will be able to tell you what it is. Steve Lang, a reporter for Rochester Magazine, managed to track down an engineer who helped design the original machine. Apparently, the special feature Teeter spoke about was real. 
Now, it's possible John Teeter, whoever he was, was also on the team that created the 5100. Or just a computer nerd with a passion for obscure processing systems. His knowledge of the feature doesn't prove anything. Except, Teeter's later messages on the forum became more detailed. In one, he even described his time machine, or as he called it, a stationary mass temporal displacement unit, a device he said was manufactured by General Electric. He explained the mechanics behind it, posting diagrams and photos. The science looked plausible enough that someone actually applied for a patent based on the design. The jury's still out on whether that patent led to a real, workable time machine. But there are parts of Teeter's story we can corroborate. He vaguely predicted a handful of historical events, including the 2003 mad cow disease outbreak and China launching an astronaut into space that same year. Yet, aside from those few predictions that came true, all his other prophecies were way off base. Teeter painted a grim picture of the future. Among the horrors he envisioned were a second American Civil War in 2004 and a third World War in 2015. Oh, and a new U.S. Capitol based in Omaha, Nebraska. After several months of activity, Teeter made his last post on March 24, 2001. A piece of advice for the coming chaos. Bring a gas can with you when the car dies on the side of the road. Farewell, John. And just like that, he vanished. His sudden departure sent the internet reeling. Did Teeter finally return to the year 2036? Was he a time traveler at all? If he wasn't, it's hard to understand why someone would put that kind of effort into a hoax, at least until you look into what happened afterward. In the wake of his disappearance, an LLC named the John Teeter Foundation popped up in Florida. The company sold all sorts of Teeter merchandise, even a book. Someone was making money off of John Teeter, but was it an enterprising stranger who saw an opportunity? Or was the person behind the LLC also behind the posts? Ultimately, internet sleuths and a private detective came up with two suspects, brothers Larry and John Rick Haber. Larry was the CEO of the John Teeter Foundation and an entertainment lawyer in Florida. John Rick was a computer scientist. It seemed like they were the business and the brains behind the John Teeter phenomenon. Or, if you believe Teeter's story, maybe the brothers knew him. Teeter did mention visiting relatives on the East Coast. He could have been referring to the Habers. It's possible they even went into business together. After sharing his time travel secrets with the entire world, what harm was there in selling some merch? More than 20 years later, no one's heard from John Teeter. The last trace of him can be found on the John Teeter Foundation website. On the homepage is some sort of cipher. It features two small grids, each containing a series of dates and other numbers, while other boxes remain blank. As far as we know, nobody's cracked the code. 
The internet is still baffled even today. While some are convinced Teeter was the real deal, others maintain he was one of the early web's first trolls. And they make a good point. After all, most of his warnings about the future never came true. That seems as good a test as any that Teeter was a hoax. Except when you consider one possibility. Teeter often brought up the existence of multiple timelines. He insisted the longer he stayed in the past, the more he might accidentally change our future. Which means the future Teeter predicted could have been true, at least from his perspective. By traveling back to the past, he potentially created a split. While his timeline continued on the same course, ours diverged onto another one, far different from his. If it sounds a bit too convenient, that could be because it is. It means almost anything could be true, including Teeter's story. The possibilities are literally limitless, and it's tough to debunk anything. Whether you believe Teeter or not, he did get one detail right. Time isn't necessarily a singular straight line, and we have the science to prove it. Coming up, Einstein opens the door to time travel. Now back to the story. In 1665, the bubonic plague raged throughout England, forcing Cambridge University to shutter its doors. With nowhere else to go, 22-year-old student Isaac Newton packed his things and returned to his family's large countryside estate. He stayed there for the next two years until the university reopened. In the wake of COVID-19, this experience might sound familiar, except... During those years, Newton did a lot more than bake sourdough. He developed some of the most groundbreaking science in history. It all started back in Cambridge. There, Newton was trained in classical philosophy. He studied the ideas of Aristotle and Descartes, logic and ethics. But his coursework left him with huge questions about equally huge concepts like motion, matter, color, and time. These uncertainties consume Newton. In his near isolation, he devoted almost every waking hour to research. He became a man possessed. His assistant, who often took dictation of his work, observed that Newton rarely touched his meals or forgot to eat entirely. Often he'd go on a walk, only to rush back home to write down whatever epiphany struck him along the way. His work during this period laid the foundation of what, more than 20 years later, would become the mathematical principles of natural philosophy, also known as the Principia, his magnum opus. Published in 1687, the Principia introduced Newton's famous laws of gravity, motion, and force. It also proposed a theory you may not have heard of. He called it absolute time. The concept was simple. Time moves in one direction at one speed, and it's the same everywhere. You could be in London or on Neptune, and the seconds would tick by at the exact same rate. Once they did, you couldn't get them back. 
Basically, time happened moment to moment like pearls on a string. That is, if each pearl fell off the string and immediately slipped into the abyss. It sounds grim, but in many ways, Newton's theory is how we all function. It's the guiding principle behind clocks and calendars. If you think about it, our whole concept of life is based on absolute time. And for roughly two centuries, so was most of physics. It seemed cut and dry. Time was a line pointing in one direction. But then, Einstein took that line and folded it. We all know Albert Einstein, and for good reason. His theories revolutionized nearly everything we understand about physics and the universe. Today, his name is almost synonymous with genius. But long before he became the father of modern physics, Einstein was a rebellious and somewhat lackluster student at the Federal Institute in Zurich. According to historian Galina Weinstein, he had a reputation for skipping class, challenging his teachers, and copying his friends' lecture notes. In fact, one of Einstein's professors, mathematician Hermann Minkowski, once described him as a real lazybones. He told another colleague that Einstein, quote, never bothered with mathematics at all. And he was right. Back then, Einstein was more interested in theories than abstract equations. He missed math seminar after math seminar, and to the faculty's dismay, still finished with excellent grades. There was one complication the young genius didn't think through, though. All those professors he'd rubbed the wrong way, he needed their recommendations to land a job. You don't have to be an astrophysicist to guess what happened next. After graduating, Einstein struggled to find work in academia. Every position he applied for turned him down or didn't reply at all. He was unemployed and desperate until finally, in 1902, he landed a job in a patent office as a clerk. It was a humble start for one of the world's greatest scientists. But like Newton's isolation during the plague, this less-than-ideal setting would become the birthplace of modern physics. In May 1905, 26-year-old Albert Einstein had been working at the patent office for a few years when he had an epiphany. The room was flooded with papers, proposing ways to perfectly synchronize clocks across train stations. This concept, the perfect synchronization of time, sparked a thought. A thought that, after five weeks of feverish research, turned into a theory. Time isn't absolute. It's relative. This is the seed of Einstein's first groundbreaking work, the special theory of relativity. It goes something like this. Nothing is absolute. Everything is measured against something else, and all things can change depending on the perspective of the observer. At its crux was a revelation. Time can change based on our perception. For instance, someone going at light speed might perceive time as moving very slowly. All the while, on Earth, years can pass by. The pace all depends on who you ask. 
Once published, Einstein's special theory of relativity caused a stir. Not only did it obliterate Newton's concept of absolute time, it was a perception shift on a cosmic level. And Einstein hadn't even finished his doctorate. While his discovery was undoubtedly impressive, not everyone was prepared to take it at face value. Einstein's math professor, Hermann Minkowski, was one of the first to test the limits of special relativity. After all, Einstein had missed most of his lectures. When Minkowski learned his former lazybones student had published a groundbreaking theory, he was curious. Had Einstein really pulled it off? So Minkowski worked the numbers. After a thorough run of Einstein's equations, he found that they didn't only work, they had stunning implications. In the past, we'd thought of space and time as completely independent ideas. Space was simply a three-dimensional expanse where matter existed. Time was a separate singular dimension where events happened. But after studying Einstein's theory, Minkowski realized we had it all wrong. Not only was time relative, it behaved like space. In fact, space and time were bound together to create an inseparable fourth dimension. He called this concept space-time. To put it in real-life terms, if we want to find a T-Rex, we can't just go to Montana. We have to go to Montana 68 million years ago. Minkowski's finding was just as revolutionary as the special theory of relativity. Perhaps if Einstein had followed through on the math, he would have come to the same conclusion. But just as in college, he was still more interested in the conceptual than the mathematical. He didn't want to crowd his thought experiments with more numbers than were absolutely necessary. Well, that could have been the case. Or maybe he was afraid to look into what he'd uncovered. The reality was, Einstein had unlocked a Pandora's box of theoretical physics, and inside there were some strange concepts. Some so bizarre, even he struggled to accept them. Starting with space-time. It wasn't the idea of a combined space-time dimension that was hard to swallow. It was what it implied. Remember, up until now, time was considered to be a straight line. Originally, Einstein simply theorized that in different perspectives, it could speed up or slow down. All the while, the only direction to go was forward, like a virtual treadmill. Space-time turned that treadmill into a track and field. It gave it geography. Now, the path you just took didn't disappear. It stayed behind you as another one stretched ahead. This idea is known as eternalism. The notion that past, present, and future all exist simultaneously. The present is just whatever you happen to be experiencing currently. But if time behaves like space, we could theoretically jump forward or backward, maybe even sideways. But that's a conversation for a different episode. Perhaps Einstein reacted so strongly to Minkowski's space-time theory because he saw what loomed behind it. A mystery so deep, he thought we would never solve it. 
So radical, it seemed more like fantasy than reality. Maybe he was right. Consider the fact that for millennia, time travel only existed in stories and in dreams and hoaxes and inexplicable phenomena. But Einstein and Minkowski accidentally found it hidden in our own reality. Space-time established the theoretical possibility that it could exist, which now leaves us with two questions. How? And when? Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back next time with part two of Time Travel. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash with Nick Johnson as our head of production and Trent Williamson as our senior production specialist. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Garland, edited by Natalie Pritsovsky and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Jay Cahew, recorded by Freddie Rivera, produced by Bruce Katovich, and sound designed by Juan Borda. Our hosts are Richard Rossner and me, Molly Brandenburg. Mm-hmm.